Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Caleb is the founder and CEO at Tilt and is focused on changing the payments landscape for the better. In the conversation, Caleb shares how his entrepreneurial journey started very early in college going door to door when he was only 19 years of age. We spoke about how the role of a founder and a leader changes as their company grows to more than 50 people and the challenges that present themselves as you have to learn to let go and trust others. And he also shares how he invests in his own learning in this process. Today we have Caleb Avery from Tilt. Hi, Caleb, and welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on today. Really excited. So wonderful to have you here with us today. And to begin with, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Caleb Avery. I'm the founder and CEO here at Till. I started my entrepreneurial journey at 19 by co-founding a credit card processing business when I was in college and started my career going door to door, selling payment processing services to small business owners over time, scaled up that business. And then I started getting brought in on these consulting opportunities for software companies. And for me, throughout that consulting experience, I saw the same problem over and over again. And about four years ago, I uh, decided that I felt like I had what it took to, to go solve that problem and decided to take that entrepreneurial leap again and found another business, which became Tilled and what we call a payback as a service. And definitely have enjoyed my entrepreneurial journey and excited to, to share more with you today. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So I'm already curious, right? Entrepreneurship at 19. Can you share what led to that? Yeah. So for me, it was summer between sophomore and junior year of college. I knew I needed to get a job, but wasn't exactly sure what to do or what I would really enjoy doing. And a buddy of mine at the time, uh, we were talking about this idea of credit card processing. And not, neither of us really knew anything about credit card processing at that particular time. But we just said, hey, let's give this a shot and went out and started going door to door in Greenville, South Carolina, talking to small business owners in the area. And I think we're surprised at how much pain these merchants were, were experiencing. So 
For us, it wasn't really intended to be this grand business plan. It was, hey, can we go out and make a little bit of extra cash in college? And by, by the time we graduated, it turned into a pretty pretty nice little business. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you didn't plan to set up a business, but you started with something else and that grew into the business. Yeah. It was just, I think for us, we got out there, we had a hypothesis, we went out and tested the hypothesis, started talking to small business owners and quickly realized that there was a gap in the market. And for whatever reason, 19 year old college students were the perfect guys to come in and fill that gap in the market. And so we were able to come in and help these small business owners get better technology, better rates, better support on their processing services. And then over time, we continued to see kind of additional problems within that that needed to be solved. And for us, the big unlock for us was when we transitioned from thinking about the small business owners as like the primary um, customer for us and then focused on agents and other ISOs and felt like, hey, if we can offer these guys a better solution, a better experience than what they have today through their current partnerships. That's how we can scale this business. And that ended up being a kind of pivotal uh, turning point for us in the building of that business. Yeah. Yeah. And can you share more about that early period, right? When you're going door to door and you tasted some initial success, how did that shape you as a person, as a leader? Yeah. And given where you are today, what role did that early period had to had in shaping you? Yeah, I think I have a lot of respect and sympathy for anyone that's gone through door-to-door sales of really any variety, credit card processing sales in particular being a highly competitive industry. There's basically small business owners are getting hit up all the time, either folks walking in their door or call centers or reaching out to them. And so you face a lot of rejection in that line of work and learned a lot about the payment space, but I'd say probably the number one thing that I learned in that experience was really this idea of rejection and how to handle the rejection, not take it personally, how to overcome those those rejections. And really taught me a lot about how to sell, how to empathize with the people you know, that you're working with. For us, if we were going out in a day and talking to 20, 25 business owners, you might only have one or two of those people even remotely interested in what you have to say. Mm-hmm. It's a substantial amount of no's or get out of my business yeah. or whatever the response is. And so it, it definitely teaches you to be resilient. And I think for me, as the entrepreneurial journey continued, think about where we are with Till today, four years in, started out as a solo founder, that's a tough place to be. We've raised multiple rounds of capital. We've hired 50 odd employees. We're out selling our product to customers. And every step along that journey would till there's substantial rejection through through every part of that process. But I think for me, I was coming to it with the attitude of like, what do I really have to lose here? The worst thing mm-hmm. that, that people can say is no. And I'm pretty used to, to getting a no. And so you might as well put yourself out there and see uh, what you can make of it. And so it, it allows you to have that kind of internal confidence and not let, you know, hey, I got a hundred investors that said no to me in this funding round. But the important thing yeah. is I had five that said yes. And so you focus on the five, you don't dwell on the hundred and you kind of move on and keep going. Yeah, exactly. I think as long as you can separate the rejection or the no to you rather than to your offer, I think that makes it easier to continue to move forward, right? Uh, so I, I'm glad that you faced those early rejections. As you said, it's a wonderful learning for any entrepreneur. Now that like you have 50 people, I'm sure you're not doing, you're not the only one uh, like doing all the sales. How do you give that knowledge back? Because it's 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 also so much, not just in words, it's something which you experienced, right? How do you yeah. give that to people in you now who might be facing rejection and who might not have that background? So how do you yeah. give that back and put it into the culture of the organization? 
Yeah. So for us at Tilled, we started with a founder-led sales motion, which I think, you know, there's a lot of articles online. If you're not familiar with founder-led sales, definitely would encourage you to read more about it. But generally it's the idea that the founder is, whether you're coming from a sales background or a technical background or whatever your background is, you really need to be the first person that's out there selling the product and really getting that that feedback from the market. I trained the first AE that we brought onto the team. And so we waited quite a while after we were in market with the product before we actually brought on a formal sales leadership. And so for me, that was a critical period for a couple of reasons. I think one is what you mentioned in terms of instilling the right culture within the sales organization. I also think it's a pretty critical part of the process from product feedback perspective. For me, I was running product, sales, marketing in the early days. And so you really need in my opinion, to have as much feedback uh, and candid feedback as you can from customers. And it's pretty hard to get that if you're not on the phone, <laughs> on the front line, talking to them, seeing the objections that they're coming to the table with, and then figuring out ultimately how to overcome those objections. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you're touching on another important point here that even from a leadership perspective, the best way to lead is often to lead by example. And then ov obviously you can delegate a lot of the things uh, but if you are delegating out of fear or delegating out of that insecurity, which comes from not facing rejection, uh, rather than uh, delegating because there's something more important for you uh, to do, I think that's the key element here. So founder-led sales is so important because first of all, it gives you that direct immediate feedback, but it, it also shows everybody that you're willing to lead hmm. by example. Uh, and then that creates a level of trust or bonding which you wouldn't have otherwise if you are avoiding those tough conversations, which you are asking other people to go into. Yeah, I love that concept of like, when is the right time to, to delegate? Because I, I think that can be a really tough thing because it's not like there's a blinking light that comes on. Hey, now's the time to delegate this task or this role or this responsibility. And so you really have to think through. And for me, I've talked about this a number of times, but it's this idea of transitioning from a founder to a CEO where... The reality is when you're a founder, there's not much room to, to delegate. You, you really are kind of in, in the trenches doing the kind of groundwork. And that's a really important time in the business, but you can't do that forever. You can't scale an organization where I still run sales, marketing, product, operations, fun. That's not a scalable place to be. You have to do that for a period of time. But then as the organization matures and you start to transition into being a little bit more mature of an organization, you really have to take that step back as an individual and say like, how does my role need to evolve? How does my day-to-day, -day, my role, responsibilities, accountabilities need to evolve? And to the point that you were making, like what can I afford to delegate and focus on higher level, higher value, higher leverage tasks to really maximize the hours in a day? Yes, absolutely. I think you're spot on because I do work with many entrepreneurs in that space of like 30 to 70 people, uh, the size of the organization. And many times what I see is that they are struggling with what they are good at, right? Because they are good at something, uh, like so good at something, they find it difficult to let go. And because they have a history, they do not know to operate any other way, right? So can you share how is that? Uh, because I think that is now is the time for you that you're creating leaders rather than creating yeah. like being a leader. So how is that journey been? What new challenges are you facing right now? Yeah, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of focusing on the things that you're good at, you enjoy, and you can basically do on autopilot. Like that's the kind of comfort zone for an entrepreneur. And oftentimes, like that's where you decide to go start a business. It's like, hey, this is an industry I know. This yeah. is a field that I'm familiar with. I understand the problem space. I understand the customers. And so you start out in 
this comfort zone of like, hey, I'm really comfortable doing all these activities. But the reality is for the organization to grow and for you to evolve into that CEO role, you have to push yourself out of that comfort zone and say, hey, here's something that I need to go do. I believe that I'm capable of doing it, but I might not be incredible at it. To get started, and you have to push yourself through that comfort zone and surround yourself with a support system so that you can learn and grow and evolve as a leader, as an individual to, to be capable of performing in that role that the company needs you to evolve into, not just kind of sticking in the comfort zone of where you started. Yeah. And can you share a bit about the vision that you have or the company that you want to grow into in a few years? Yeah. So for me, the vision uh, and the mission here at Tilt is to empower ISVs to, to monetize their payments and change the payments landscape for the better. And so there, there's a couple of different parts of that mission, which really feeds into the long-term vision of the business. When you think about the first part of that mission, we're maniacally focused on ISVs as the center of our universe. We're building products, we're building processes, we're building teams and support structures around this idea of enabling our ISV software partners to be able to embed payments and monetize payments within their platform. And there's really only a handful of companies in the world that are truly focused on that one individual problem. And then the second part of that vision and mission is really this idea of changing the payments landscape for the better, where for me, I've been more than a decade in the space. And the reality is there's a lot of companies that don't focus on well-being of their end customers, kind of the primary objective for the company. And it's not that all of them are kind of nefarious, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of gray areas <laughs> in the space that a lot of companies tend to operate in. So we're really trying to focus on having the right ethos and putting our customers, mm -hmm. our partners, our employees first. Uh, and I think for us, we're really trying to have that positive impact on the landscape uh, as a whole. Yeah, thank you for adding that, right? And apart from what we were talking about earlier, right? You being a different kind of a leader, uh, I think what is unique about you or your experience is that you have never worked like in a traditional corporate environment, right? So does that present any challenge or any drawbacks now as you're growing into more, right? Where you need to introduce more processes. So maybe if you can reflect yeah. on that, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think for me, if you ask what my strengths are, like I, I'm just an entrepreneur at heart. And I think that the reality is like, that's what the business needs in the early days. And we're, we're actually having a conversation with our leadership coach uh, earlier in the week about this idea of transitioning from entrepreneurialism to professional management. Hmm. <laughs> and what, what exactly does that look like? And it's a lot of what you're saying where you have to institute more process, repeatability, and really prepare the business for, for scale, where we've figured out a lot of the kind of core problems that exist in the business. And we're now preparing the business to really scale. And I think for me, there, there's a couple of different ways that you can think about going about that. I think one, there are going to be things about you as an individual that you have to reflect on and say, hey, this habit that I have to constantly change the roadmap and things like that, like you can't do that forever. The business can't survive in that level of kind of organized chaos, if you will. And then for me, it's that combination of what can I change internally? And then how do I make sure that I'm surrounding myself with the right leaders on the team that have those capabilities that have that desire to institute process? Because I'm really never going to be in a place where like, I just absolutely love, hey, here's the recipe, all of these 10 steps. Like that's just not who I am as an individual. I'm capable of, of, of operating that way a bit, but I'm not going to just fully change who I am as an individual and just maniacally focus on that. And so you have to have leaders in the right roles within the organization that have that desire, that have that 
uh, intense focus, and then as a leader myself, empower them to have the ability to institute, follow, and maintain those processes without me yeah. getting in the way. I think it's the concept of what got you here won't get you there. And you really have to kind of acknowledge as an entrepreneur, like, hey, I had these strengths. Mm -hmm. They were phenomenal at getting the business to the stage that we're at today. But like, if I continue doing this, <laughs> the organization is likely to fail. Like I have to adapt. We have to adapt. The team has to adapt. Uh, and once you're consciously aware of that fact, I think it's a lot easier to, to mm -hmm. ask yourself like, well, hey, what are those things that I'm still doing that I really shouldn't be doing on a day-to-day -day basis and try to eliminate those as best you can? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you have that uh, awareness. And you also mentioned working with a leadership coach, right? But at the same time, that journey can also be very intimidating or difficult because then you're stepping into being a very different kind of a person, right? Not to say that it is not possible or not fruitful, uh, but it is something which you have not practiced. So it's new to you, right? So can you share a bit of maybe some of those uncomfortable moments or realizations about yourself that you have to overcome uh, to be the leader that your organization demands you to be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there, there's definitely an aspect of kind of kinesthetic learning where you're figuring this out as you go. There, there's not exactly a kind of entrepreneur book of, hey, here's the exact time to start doing all of these things. There's a lot of resources online and a lot of different opinions, but a lot of it is really just you as an individual making the judgment calls in the business on a day-to-day -day basis. But for me, I focused on trying to get feedback from my investors, from the board, from our leadership coach, from the leadership team, from the team in general to really say, hey, what are the things that that I need to do better? What are the things that I need to improve on? And really empowering the team to, to give that feedback in the moment of like, hey, mm. I'm not sure that's the direction that we need to go as a business. And if you're the founder and you're not open to that feedback, you're not going to get it from your mm -hmm. team, from your investors, from your board. So you have to be willing to at least accept the feedback. You don't even honestly want to action all of the feedback. Some of it's bad yeah. advice, uh, but you have to at least be open to receiving the feedback. And I think for me, um, one of the things that I have been working on is really that idea of like delegation and empowering the team under me to be able to make things them themselves. And for me, it's this concept of like distributed decision-making where you know, for a period of time, kind of hub and spoke model, I'm the central decision maker. I make all the decisions in the business. It's not a bad way to get the business off the ground, but it's a pretty tough way <laughs> to scale the business. And so for me, one of the things that, that we've done over the last, I guess, six months or so is really crystallize the core values in the business and use those as a decision-making filter to say, hey, here's how I would think through a key decision that, that you as an individual are empowered to make within the business. Is this fair and transparent? Are we sticking to the core values of the organization? And if you are, if you're sticking to those core values, seems like a reasonable decision, you have the authority to do it, move forward. You don't need me to green light every little decision along the way. And I think that can be really difficult, even for myself, to, to give up that level of control uh, within the organization. But it's something that I am currently working on and striving towards. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. One of my biggest learnings have been that leadership is not just like a business skill, but also a very human skill, right? And many times we ignore the human side of ourselves, but also others in business, right? So can you share something about you, which which most people are not aware of? Yeah, I think one of the one of the parts of entrepreneurship that people don't talk a lot about is like what it could do to your whole life. I think it's one thing like, hey, business is booming. We've raised all this money. We've got all these employees. We've got all these customers. But it's like, what does that actually look like for the entrepreneur home? How much time do you have for yourself, your wife, your kids? And I think for me, that's definitely been arguably the harder part 
of the journey is trying to maintain some semblance of work-life balance. I think it's hard to really sit here and say that there is work-life balance for me in the moment today, but it's certainly something that I am striving towards and I am trying to make a priority for me. And so I think one of the things that, that I've tried to do and would encourage other entrepreneurs to do is really decide like, what are the key things within your home life that are just non-negotiable? And for me, uh, that's getting my kids dressed, taking them to school every day, and then putting them to bed at night as, as much as I possibly can. And so for me, like there are trade-offs with that decision process. Like, hey, I'm not going to go to that conference. I'm not going to take this trip because this is important to me. And I think I've tried to draw that that boundary as much as I can. And I think for me, that's been a really helpful way of trying to kind of maintain that separation and that sanity at home while scaling uh, an organization that that's growing the way that Attil does. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, right? Thank you. Because family is such an important aspect of life. Uh, and thank you for like op- being open about that. What I want to ask you is that, is there anything else? Is there any other dream or any other passion of yours, which has also been on hold? Because of what you're like, because of being so busy as an entrepreneur? Uh, Yeah, I mean, great question. I think for me, when I think about my hobbies that I enjoy and my passions, I would say golf and skiing are certainly things that, that I enjoy mm-hmm. a lot. And prior to Till, skied a lot, golfed a lot. Kids are probably as much of a factor in those as Till uh, is. But certainly, I think for me, it's, you focus on the business, you focus on kids, focus on wife, and then it's like, okay, well, how much time is really left over for me as an individual? And the reality is not a ton, uh, but there there will be a day, there will be a time where I can get the golfing in, get the skiing yeah. in. And for now, I'm trying to enjoy the ride as much as I can with Till. Yes. So I was coaching uh, an entrepreneur from Boulder a few years ago. So I think I know that you're very close to the mountains or you're maybe already surrounded by mountains. And this person had a passion for climbing and was dealing with the same like notion of how much time should I really spend? And then also that uh, notion of being guilty, feeling guilty about spending time with you. But there was something wonderful which happened because the more we worked together, the more uh, I encouraged uh, this person to actually focus on on uh, like their passions and their hobbies. And what that resulted is creating a different kind of aliveness at work. And that made uh, maybe work more productive and he was able to actually save time, right? So I think it's, it's uh, I'm so glad to hear that you mentioned about skiing. Uh, and because I also know that like the kind of environment that you live in, I think it's very accessible to you. So I, I would encourage you to like go out and maybe as little as you can, but actually spend that time because that like what, what fills you up with with joy, I think uh, there is no equivalent to that and the difference that can it create for you as a human being and then how it can impact your leadership or your entrepreneurship, you have no idea. So thank you for sharing that. And I just wanted to add that like uh, as a suggestion for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll give my wife that that feedback. I think for me, I'm really excited for my kids to, to really be the age where I can take them up skiing. I've taken my daughter out golfing once. Uh, I've taken both of the kids up skiing once. And I think once you can get them into the activities that that you enjoy, I think that's yeah. kind of the holy grail. So I, I have that to look forward to. Not quite there yet, but ho- hopefully very soon. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond rejection, right? In sales, uh, any entrepreneur journey is also full of surprises and uncertainties. And in the last three, three years, I've been, I think, the perfect practice for all of us uh, for that, right? So how have you managed to deal with surprises, uncertainty, pressure? And what do you do on a, let's say, on a daily basis, on a regular basis to, to keep that sense of balance for yourself? 
Yeah, I would definitely agree that the last few years have been the the perfect storm of stress and anxiety and surprises and uncertainty for entrepreneurs and just people in general. I think for me, uh, the key that I found is really focusing on what's under your control. Like, sure, there's chaos happening around us, but it's like, okay, well, what can I actually do to influence this result? Because I think at least in my experience, when I find that I'm getting anxious and overwhelmed, it's because I'm spending too much time focused on things that I have no ability to change. I have no ability to, to influence. And if you can really redirect that energy, which can be incredibly difficult at times in the moment is really have that thought of like, what can I really focus my energy and attention on? Mm-hmm. And me, sometimes it means I've got to get up from my computer or get out of the house or go for a bike ride or go for a drive or whatever it is to kind of break the cycle of the thought process that you're in. If you feel yourself kind of spiraling down a rabbit hole, thinking about things that that you don't have the ability to control. And so I think for me, it's been incredibly valuable to help control that anxiety and that uncertainty to really focus on the things that I have the power to influence. Thank you. I think that's very practical in like, like thinking about, uh, can I even control that? And many times our anxiety or worrying is about something which is not even in our control. But then the second part, which you mentioned, right, to do something physical, maybe to get out, to take a walk, to go on hiking is one way to like really give our heads, our minds a rest or a break from what is so present or what is so in front of. So thank you for sharing that. Right? And given the journey that you have traversed so far, right, what is it that you are most grateful for? Uh, most grateful for? I, I think I'm most grateful for the people that I have the opportunity to work with on a day-to-day basis. I think at times can take it for granted, but having a mm-hmm. great group of people around you in the foxhole fighting the good fight every day is just incredibly valuable. And it's honestly taken us a couple of iterations to, to get to the team that we have today, but I could not be more grateful for the leaders and, and the team in general that I have around me today. I'd take them any day. Yeah, yeah. And since you are so involved with the payments like right from the beginning, Can you share your vision, not just for your company, but also for that ecosystem as a whole? And again, I'm not simply talking about the West because in many ways, like China or the Southeast Asian countries are way ahead of in payments from what Europe or West, the West can be, right? So what is your vision for the economy, for the ecosystem when it comes to payments? I'd say two two things. I think one, and this is more centered around the universe that, that we focus on, but Um, When you think about the historical distribution model for payments, it was agents, ISOs, folks like myself going door to door, selling payments to small business owners. I think over the last five years, we've seen a pretty dramatic acceleration of what we would call software-led payments. So Mm -hmm. verticalized software uh, that really, I mean, almost every conceivable vertical, you run a pool cleaning business, you run a gym, you run a daycare, name your vertical, there is a vertical software (laughs) available for that solution. And I think increasingly, the owners are saying, hey, I don't really want just this terminal sitting on my desk. I want to have a fully integrated solution that helps me run my entire business, not just payments. And so my personal prediction over the next five years is that will go from about 20% of payments uh, to over 50% payments. Uh, And so I think that fundamentally the distribution model for payments is shifting underneath our feet today. And that's certainly a key trend that that we're enabling. And then I think the second thing that I'm personally really excited about is this idea of soft pause and tap to pay solutions where, you know, anyone on their iOS or Android device can use that as a terminal to accept card present devices. And I think to your point, like there are a lot of (laughs) places in the world that that are far ahead of the US, you know, from that perspective. But I, I see that as a major disruption and a major opportunity over the next couple of years, both here and abroad. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the major concerns that people have is about safety, is about privacy. Uh, and now with the advent of cryptocurrency, I think it's also confusion or like not understanding these new technologies. So how do you navigate? But also when you talk to potential clients or partners, how do you manage or convince those relationships, right, to not just adopt, but also be open uh, to something new coming in? Sure. Yeah. I think when you are where Tilde is in the adoption curve, you really have to focus on educating the customers, the market. And so for us, even uh, I would bet over a year before we even launched the product, we were putting together blogs and content resources and really focusing on creating educational content to help with a consultative sales process to really drive the knowledge of our customers forward. And I think we were not necessarily the first to market. And so we had the benefit of a couple of competitors that, that spent probably quite a bit of money educating the market on, on our behalf and certainly grateful to them. Uh, but I think for us, we have certainly dedicated a lot of time and resources to putting together content to really educate the market. And I think if you're involved in a space that's it's new or it's unfamiliar or you're disrupting a part of the ecosystem, you really have to focus on that content piece. Otherwise, you will struggle with driving end user adoption. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss that, especially when you're doing something new or innovative then educating people or taking them along with you is as much as a part of your role. Like as just saying, like, I want to focus on the sales and ignoring, right, what is stopping the sales in the first place. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. I think that's a good light bulb moment for many entrepreneurs to say that this is actually what is sales, right? For me, sometimes education can be and that, that sales. And uh, uh, so I'm glad that, that you're thinking about that. Yeah. So before we end, right, anybody who is listening uh, and they want to find out more about what you're doing or be in touch, what is the best way for them to do so? Or if there is anything else that you would like to add before finishing, feel free to do so. Yeah, certainly. So if you're looking to get a hold of me, LinkedIn is definitely the best place to find me. So come search for me, Caleb Avery on LinkedIn. If you're interested in learning more about Tilde, certainly following us on LinkedIn is a great way to do that. Our website, tilde.com, T-I-L-E-D is also a fantastic place. Uh, I'm not particularly active on Twitter. The company does have an Instagram. So LinkedIn is definitely the place to follow us. And kind of fi final thought, if there are any um, founders out there that, that are thinking about starting a business or thinking about raising money and need some help or advice, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I typically connect with one or two founders a month and just connect with them for 30 minutes and offer free advice, free help as, as much as I can. So if there, there's anybody out there that would be interested in connecting further and getting a bit of advice, re reach out to me on LinkedIn, mention the podcast, and let's get some time uh, on the calendar. Absolutely. I will make sure to add uh, add your website and your profiles with the show notes. And uh, yeah, before we end, I would like to wish you all the best for everything. Also, first of all, congratulate uh, you on the journey that you have had, because uh, like as most people know, entrepreneurship is full of rewards, but it is also full of those moments uh, like where you don't want to be in that moment at that point of time. So it's very important to acknowledge that and celebrate that. Uh, and then for everything that lies ahead for you with your family, with your skiing, with business, right? To include the full humanity of who you are as a leader. Uh, best of luck for all of you. And yeah, wish you all the best. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. This was great. Wonderful. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. 
If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.